This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August 27, 2023. The title of the message is A Grace-Filled Farewell. Good morning. If you would open your Bibles with me, we come now to uh, the, the very end the conclusion, uh, the, the final uh, greetings uh, of Paul in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. I hope, it's, I hope uh, our series through Philippians has been a blessing to you as it has been to me in preparing and, and preaching them. And, and uh, so it's a little, I'm a little sad that we're at the end. I really love how, um, you know, someone said to me, you know, uh, I asked, uh, what, what's your favorite book or what's the book that uh, has been blessing you the most? And this person said, um, uh, after each uh, series of sermons, you know, the, the book that you're, pre- you're finishing preaching. And, and I hope that that's, that kind of love for the word uh, continues to resonate with you. If you don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can follow along in the bulletin or the slide behind me. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his grace. Our Father, we come before you this morning with our hearts open, uh, uh, with our Bibles open. Lord, as we hear your word read and preached, Lord, help us to listen intently by faith. Lord, would you give us your spirit that works and, and, and indwells in us? that as we do so, um, it would not be something passive, but it would be something that we actively hear and apply to ourselves, that as if you're speaking to each and every one of us. And as we do so, Lord, may the people around us in the world look in and they would see that man does not live by bread alone, that these people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, would you bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. You know, we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and, and uh, in the opening paragraphs, uh, I'd mentioned that it was a prologue, a kind of introduction that summarizes the whole letter, that everything he talks about you know, in those opening greetings, you know, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and in those early sections, they give us a preview of the content of the whole letter. And in like fashion, here at the concluding greetings that Paul gives, in many ways, it's a concluding summary that looks back at everything that Paul has uh, described and, and given through this letter. So it's a summary in some sense, like just these very pregnant greetings and, and, and how he dresses the church of Philippi, uh, Philippi and And uh, what he concludes as his final benediction really is a summary of all that he's written to them. 
And that's what I want us to, to look at this morning, just some of the ways in which this concluding re, these concluding greetings point us back to the beauty, the goodness, the grace, the joy, uh, the, the contentment, uh, the, the love of grace in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at, at how the, this final greeting summarizes some of those core themes of the gospel to the church at Philippi as well as to you and to me. So let's look at some of these core themes. First, we see the deep Christian love that we ought to have for one another in Christ. Look at verse 21. Uh, he tells the Philippians to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And, and this reflects the deep love and affection that Paul uh, has been describing throughout his letter. Uh, the, the love that Paul has for the Philippian church because they have such a special place in his heart. That they have suffered with him. That they are the only ones who sent him gifts in the midst of his suffering and trial and his imprisonment. Right? No one partnered in the gospel with me except you only. That they sent uh, their beloved Epaphroditus Right, when Paul is in, imprisoned at home in chains with his, the, the Praetorian Guard, the, the uh, Caesar's Imperial Guard, uh, chained to him, watching him uh, uh, 24-7, and he thinks that nobody cares, everybody's abandoned him. And then here comes Epaphroditus, his beloved brother, with gifts from the Philippian church. And so they have a special place in his heart. And so when he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, it's not just a hello, how are you? Say, you know, tell everybody I love them. It, it is a deep, affectionate greeting. Greet every saint. All the saints who poured out their love in giving that gift to Epaphroditus to give to me. Greet every saint uh, who you have partnered with me. Uh, in, the, in the ministry of the gospel. Greet every saint uh, who loves me and, and I love and who is praying for me as we suffer together. Look at what he says there. Uh, I mean, he says in, in chapter 1, verse, verse 7, uh, just kind of reflecting back on this greet, greeting uh, every saint, he, he says in chapter 1, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way. He said, this is it. This is because of our relationship, because I love you so deeply. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. And this is not cold, condescending, uh, distant language. This is the warmth of intimacy and fellowship and love. Why? Look at what he goes on to say in verse 7 there. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now listen to the depth and character of his love for them. It's not just any kind of love. He says, for God is my witness. It's his way of, kind of giving an oath. Like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm, this isn't just... Uh, words written on a page to make you feel good. 
God is my witness. This is how I really feel in the depths of my being and in my heart for you. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you see that language? He misses them so much and he longs to see them so deeply that he yearns for them. Like a husband yearns to see his wife uh, when he is far off on a long business trip. Or a parent yearning for their beloved child who is away at college for months and months on end. Or a or a close friend who moves away for whatever reason and you, there's just a hole in your heart because you miss them so much. You yearn for them. That is how Paul yearns for his fellow Philippian Christians whom he loves, not only in Christ, but with the love, with the very love and affection of Christ. Right? Paul yearns for them with the very affection, the longing of Christ. Uh, It's as if the very heart of Christ is beating within his chest so that Paul loves what Jesus loves. This means that Jesus himself then, right? If if Paul is saying, I I yearn for you with the, the affection of Christ, then that implies, it presupposes that Christ yearns for you and for me with his own love. And this is the beauty and wonder of the love that we ought to have for one another that is grounded in Christ's very love for us, in God's love for us. And this is how we ought to yearn and love one another in the same way that Jesus did for us. It is in this context of love and affection in Christ through the Spirit, that Paul tells of Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, this is part of the theme of, of the letter to the Philippians, that he wants us to count one another more important than ourselves, that, that the unity is grounded in our Unity of mindset, unity of heart, and unity in love in Christ, for Christ, through Christ, towards one another. That a church that doesn't love one another with the love of Christ, that doesn't yearn for one another as Christ yearns for us, uh, there's some, probably some deep divisions that ought not to be there. And it is in this context that Paul recenters and reorients the Philippian church in that great gospel Christ hymn in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. Who though, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and made him by, um, and by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And that is where the very love of Christ was demonstrated for you and for me. That, 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 can you just think about it for a moment? That Jesus yearns for you because he loved you. He loves you. And he yearned for you as he bore your sins. He yearned for you as he, 
His, nail, his hands were nailed and his feet were nailed to that cross as he bore the, the thorny, piercing crown of thorns on his brow and he was pierced at his side. He yearned for you because apart from him, you are alienated and without hope and without God in the world. And so in the gospel, as he died on the cross, he loved you and he yearned for you. And he now continues to yearn for you. Yes, he's with you, but he yearns to see you saved if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He yearns for you to see you, your sins forgiven so that you might be healed. He yearns for you to see you grow, to shed your sins and to walk in newness of life, to become conformed more and more into his image, to be more like him. He yearns for you to know who you are in Christ, who you, who you are as a child of God. He yearns for you to know his love and grace. And here's the beauty of it all. He yearns for you, period. He yearns for you. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to know his love, his joy. And I think Paul, when he says, greet every saint in Christ, and, and knowing that he yearns to be with them, gives us a, it, it, it resonates with that same yearning that Christ has for you and for me. So greet one another with that yearning and love. Secondly, we also see not only our, the gospel love that we ought to have one, for one another in Christ, but we also see our gospel identity in Christ. In verse 21, after commending the Philippians uh, for sharing in his trouble and supporting them in his ministry, he gives his greetings, and in doing so, he tells them, he tells us who we are. Look at what he says there in verse 7. Greet every, what? Every saint in Christ Jesus. Don't just greet people. Greet the saints in Christ Jesus. And, and who are the saints? The sanctified ones, the holy ones, uh, the set-apart ones, those who are holy, who have been saved from unholiness and sin and darkness and death into his holiness, into his righteousness, in his life. You are holy in Christ Jesus, beloved and accepted before a holy and righteous God. What a testimony that is to God's grace in the lives of his sinful people. Can you imagine the worst of sinners? And Paul, in, in, in another letter, he says, you know, uh, uh, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or whom I am the chief. That Paul sees himself as chief of sinners and can you imagine all the heinous sinners sitting in the pews who know exactly what they have done, the things they've done in the dark, how much they have hurt people, how much they have sinned against others, how much they have displeased God in their lifestyle of sin. But because of the gospel now, this is who they are. They are holy in Christ. They are saints, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the heinous sins that you've committed, 
that are filthy rags before him. He sees you in Christ. And, and as he sees you in Christ, what are you? You are holy. That is who you are. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us uh, to God. And now in the gospel, Paul says that we are to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, Philippians 2, 15. Now, this doesn't mean that we're perfect but we are positionally holy, that we are holy because we're in Christ. And, um, and, and so in that way, you know, when Satan accuses you of being a sinner, uh, Martin Luther, when he, would, when he would struggle in his prayers and, and Satan would tempt him and Satan would say, you're, you're, you're a vile, dirty, filthy sinner. How can a loving God accept you? And... Martin Luther would say, well, I'm holy in Christ Jesus, not because of what I've done, but because Jesus is holy and I am in him. And we're also not only positionally holy, but we are progressively holy. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, Right? He doesn't see himself as perfectly holy, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. This is, this is the one thing, not only that Paul does as a saint in Christ, but what you and I all ought to do as saints in Christ. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That the whole point, the whole point of the Christian life is to progress, to press on, to be more and more like Jesus, to be saints in him. Friends, brothers and sisters, I have a really good friend. Uh, he pastors a church in Bellflower. And... Um, he has this wonderful uh, custom where he says he calls everybody uh, St. James, St. David. You know, he calls you by your first name, but he puts saint in front of it. And I, I think that uh, it's, it, we ought to revive that idea. Uh, that um, saint, the idea of being a saint is not for super Christians, but for Christians like you and me who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, try, you know, growing in our holiness, but we're holy in Christ. Not because we deserve it or that we're, we've arrived, but simply by grace through faith, we are holy in Christ. Not only are we saints in Christ, but we are also adopted sons and daughters of God. In Christ, This is why Paul goes on to say in verse 20, uh, 22, the brothers, right, the brethren, including the, the sisters in the congregation, who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And this language presupposes our status as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. It presupposes the gospel of our adoption in Christ 
into the family of God, making us brothers and sisters in Christ. That we're family, not just within a congregation, but, uh, but uh, among all the congregations of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, that one segment, one corner of the family of God expresses their deep love and fellowship to another part of the family of God. You know, it was really beautiful and wonderful uh, when I was going to Korea and, uh, and we, we were visiting all the different parts of our extended family. And it was really neat for, for all of them to come and express their solidarity, their affection, and the family unit, the unity that we have as a family. And uh, they would call, they would, they would text, they would write. And to see them in person was icing on the cake. But, uh, but that's also what we do as a family of God in the world. Uh, I love it when guest preachers come into our church and they stand up here in the pulpit and they, they'll say, uh, the saints from so-and-so church, you know, down in San Diego or in Santa Barbara or in, in uh, uh, back east in Atlanta or Philadelphia, they all give their greetings to you. Why? Because we're all family. And what that means as well is that we ought to treat one another as family, brothers and sisters, um, not strangers, uh, not colleagues, uh, although in some areas that's not a bad thing, but not co-workers like we do in the office, but brothers and sisters in whom we partner together in the life and ministry of the gospel, but also brothers and sisters as we interweave our lives together, as we participate together uh, in the life of the gospel. And what that means then is that we have been, we who were orphans without hope and without God in the world, through the gospel, we have been adopted into God's family. That Jesus, the Son of God, redeems us, died for us, saves us, and adopts us so that we might be sons and daughters of God with him. Sometimes I think we forget this wonderful and deep truth. We don't see one another as uh, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we'll, we might see each other as, as uh, nuisances or, or we'll see each other as strangers or, or merely as friends, but, but we're more than that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's love one another in that way. Thirdly, thirdly, we see the saving grace of Jesus Christ for us uh, in the gospel here in verse 23. Uh, it's not just our love for one another and our identity in Christ, but the saving grace that comes from Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, verse 23. And this is the grace that Paul introduced in verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same grace that permeates throughout the whole letter. It's the grace that we all partake of with Paul. Uh, Paul says in verse 6 of chapter uh, 1, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, what kind of work? What, what work is that? The work of grace in our lives. The good work in you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. This is the operating principle and the character of Paul's life and ministry. He's all about the grace of God and the gospel. He's all about the grace of Jesus Christ in his person and work. That, uh, that grace is the driving force of everything he does. His whole life is about the grace of the gospel. It's the center and heart of the joy he feels in every circumstance. Right? This is what he says. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for to me is to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The grace of being in Christ is the heartbeat of Paul's life. He loves Jesus so much. He knows what Jesus has done for us so deeply that he lives and dies for Jesus. This is someone who knows the grace of God. He even says this, that he love, he, he is so enamored with, his life is so intertwined with, he's obsessed, maybe for a lack of a better, so obsessed and so so attached to Jesus that he doesn't know which is better, to stay and be kind of, in, in, in one sense, be apart from Jesus or to die and to be with Jesus. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, right, if you ask him, you know, if he had to make a choice, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. And if he keeps on living, he's putting off that time to be with Christ so that he can minister the gospel to the Philippians and to the Romans and to all those who have yet to hear the gospel of salvation. And what that means, friends, brothers and sisters, is that this ought to be the heartbeat of our lives as well. Our lives ought to be all about Jesus and the grace that we have in him. So that, like Paul, we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's all because we know the depth of God's grace for us in Christ Jesus. We know exactly how much God loves us and how deeply Jesus humbled himself and gave himself for us. So that when we know how Christ lived for us and how he died for us, then we will want to in gratitude and in love to be debtors, so to speak, to his mercy alone that we will want to live for him and even die for him. This grace is something that is given to us, friends, as a free gift. It's not something that we earn for ourselves. Look at what he says there. He says, the grace, the gift the, the, uh, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He doesn't say the works, your works be with Christ Jesus. He doesn't say your merit be with Christ Jesus. Your goodness, right? Your, your, uh, you trying to be good enough to earn salvation. He does not say that. He says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It is something that God offers to you freely so that by faith you receive it as a gift. He emptied himself. 
He was born in the weakness and frailty of our humanity. He who did not, he who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, emptied himself, humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross, bearing our sin and shame, suffering and dying for our sins. And after three days rose again, and God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the Christ that Paul lived for and to die would gain. This is what he was all about. Uh, This morning I want to ask you, friends, brothers, and sisters, what do you live for? Uh, Fill in the blank, right? I mean, just if you're really honest with yourself, fill in the blank. To live is more money. To live is more, uh, uh, more things. Uh, a better car, a better house, better reputation, better grades, better looks. Whatever it is that you live for, that which that you're willing to die for, that is your functional savior, the one you look to for uh, to save you. And what Paul is doing is, is he's reorienting our whole mindset our whole lives, our hearts, so that we might see Jesus as the be-all, end-all of everything that we do, so that we might then live for Jesus, so that we can say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, My hope, friends, brothers and sisters, is that you would know and commune and have fellowship with Jesus so deeply that... uh, that you can say with great joy that to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is also, friends, the grace of God that he offers to each and every one of us. This is the grace that we can't earn or merit for ourselves, but a saving grace that he gives to us by faith. If we would repent of our sins and turn in faith, if we would trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting, if we would trust in him as he offers offers to us all that Jesus has done in his death, resurrection, and he gives it to us, and if we receive it by faith, that he alone is the one can save us, then we will be saved by grace. See, this is the whole point of Paul's litany of accomplishments uh, in the middle of, at the beginning of chapter 3, that in the light of the saving grace that he experienced in Jesus, everything that he had tried to accomplish in his life meant nothing, because in the light of Jesus, it was nothing. That in Christ Jesus, he had the riches, the infinite riches of glory in Christ. He had everything he needed and infinitely more in the person and work of Jesus. So that for him now, to be saved by grace is to, be count, is to count everything as rubbish in order to gain him. It's not just for salvation, but for everything. 
And this is why Paul tells the Philippians that in their generosity, God will supply their every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. And so just as he began in chapter 1, the grace and peace of, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, and he bookends now in his concluding greeting, his benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That this is what I want to, Paul, Paul's saying, this is what I want to give to you as I close my letter. The grace that comes from Christ so that we would love one another. The grace that comes through Christ so that we would know who we are as saints, as brothers and sisters, adopted children uh, of God, would be the saving grace that we find in Jesus Christ. And may we know that deep truth that to live is Christ and to die is gain. May it be not just information that you know, like proposition, like a Bible memory verse, but it would go deep down into your spirit, your heart, the very fabric of who you are. And that would be your life. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And may you know that grace every day of your life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. Father, we thank you for these closing words. Lord, may, would you imprint these truths into our spirit that then we would live uh, in that truth. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.